0: Radio,
1: Jason. Your favorite part of the show. Your favorite part yeah. of the show is when we open this bad boy up.
2: Is this going to be a bit, or are we going to do this for real?
1: Okay, I don't. What are you talking about?
2: I just, I just want to hear the national anthem. I'm incredibly patriotic, and I've been, I've been bladding for these last weeks. Uh, I've been, I've been needing a hit of it, and you haven't been able to provide that. So you better be able to provide that today, Brendan.
1: So you're asking me to bust out the Canada bong? That's right. Light that sucker up. Mm-hmm. Pass it over. Give That's you a right. hit. Oh yeah. It, we're, is we're that what you?
2: I want to make this feel like July first, Brendan.
1: All right. All right. All right. Well, okay. Well, let's uh, Jason once again, as we do every week. Please rise for our uh, Canadian anthem.
2: Oh, there we go.
1: I'm up now. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. No. You know what? You know what? I can't. I can't even do that. I can't even do that to us. You're, you're, you're a good man at heart, I see. I, I, I just couldn't. I couldn't let that happen, Jason. I thought about it, and you know, this this will be funny. Ha <laughs> ha, Nickelback, Canadian band. Uh, Can't do it. No, five seconds in, it's just like you got you to gotta
2: stop. It's it's like when they uh, waterboarded Christopher Hitchens. He was like, oh, waterboarding's not that bad, and he was in there for three seconds, and it was like,
1: no, no, let me out. No, this sucks. I was wrong. I was wrong. Take that, Christopher Hitchens, you dead son of a bitch. <laughs> and we all know uh, why dead people are dead, because they're stupid. And case in point, Oh, welcome everyone! Thank you for enjoying our uh, our anthem, our very quick uh, anthem. That's all you uh, need. That's all you need. You'll you know you only need the copyright free version of that. That's right. <laughs> I don't want to pay money to anybody, let alone fucking Nickelback. Let me tell you that, Bob. Nickel fucking back. Babe. <laughs> wow, that's, Dennis Miller had a stroke apparently. <laughs> 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 Jason, Brendan. this is a podcast. Yes, it is called For Screen and Country. But right now, we are not talking about British films anymore, as we no. did in the back in the day, which we will again soon. Uh, but right now, we are talking about Canadian films. So this podcast mm. temporarily is called Our Screen. Our Country A. A. That's right. We are talking about the top 10 Canadian films according to the Toronto International Film Festival, which uh, is compiled every decade. Uh since the seventies, I believe is the first one that it was uh first Mm -hmm. time it was. And uh we are talking about number seven this week on the list, and that is of course Dead Ringers. Now, Jason, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, I'm talking Mm -hmm. to you specifically. Okay. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, very first time,
2: and I'm glad you're giving me instructions in context.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm gonna confuse you even more. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, what can you expect? Uh, I believe I can expect thrills, uh, mm-hmm. chills,
2: a couple of spills. You, you're drinking beer. I'm having a little cognac, so we could very well fall over. We could. Uh, we're going to have some heady discussions. We're going to uh, probably do some dumb bits. Uh, and by the end of it, we will come to uh, a place where we have thoughts about how this film felt to us. Am I, am I, am I on track there?
1: You, you, you nailed it, which is amazing because this is your first time listener. So I got to congratulate you. Yeah, I know. It's amazing.
2: Um, I've done this podcast for how many years now and just never thought to actually listen to you speak. I just talk occasionally and it all works out. You're great. You're really great about
1: editing. What, what's really cool is that Jason and I actually record. Well, well, for right now, we are recording remotely. Whenever we record remotely, we actually don't listen to each other. No. We just talk and we just yeah. assume that what we're saying is a response to what the other person just said. Yeah, and I figure since Brendan edits the podcast,
2: I'll just talk and then he will like write uh, bumpers around what I'm saying just to make it all flow.
1: Chicken turkey sandwich, exactly. You're off your game today. Oh, what? Porcupine. Smart times. Fight club. His name was Robert Paulson, RIP. His name was Robert Paulson. Oh, Bobby Bitch Tits. So, with that being said, let's listen to a little music. From Dead Ringers.
2: dead ringers dead ringers everybody looks all the same you look like you and you look like you and everybody is a twin in dead ringers city it's also called toronto
1: so dead ringers a remake of course of the film twins <laughs> um, even though would that be a pre-make, out... <laughs> yeah what year did this come out uh, this was what 80, 88 I think 88 yeah it was a remake it came out the next year <laughs> we gotta do this right those yeah. guys didn't look alike at all it, it starts with twins then it goes dead ringers then it goes junior oh, the, the
2: greatest trilogy of all modern cinema <laughs>
1: No, Jason, we were talking about Dead Ringers. This is a number seven, like I said, on the Canadian list. This is a David Cronenberg film. David Cronenberg, mm-hmm. a true blue Canadian director. Cherished uh,
2: legend in this country for his fucked up sensibilities and creepy ass movies.
1: And his insistence to retain a certain Canadian essence to all of his movies, I think. he now there are granted that he does have a few movies that absolutely cannot be said in Canada just because of the subject matter itself, but anytime he can, I think he does, and I think he even mentions it in the films like you in this movie, for example, you hear them say they they are very specifically in Toronto, yeah, and this and is it, a Hollywood film this is a Hollywood. film. it's it, not like a little indie Canadian no. production I mean it is indie, but it's not yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't even
2: really matter, though. And that's what it's nice about it, is that the, the, the setting of Canada is not really relevant to the plot of the film. It's just, it's like it's like any other movie. It's like, okay, this movie takes place in Chicago. Well, great. It, it doesn't involve Chicago specifically. It's not, you know, it was steeped in Chicago culture. That's just happens where it happens to be set. It's the same with this movie. And Mr. Cronenberg, you could have certainly done some satire on the healthcare system with this movie, but you didn't.
1: You did. Um, all right. Weird criticism right out of the <laughs> gate. <laughs> but Jason, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us? Because I think I, I think it could be argued, and maybe maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I think it could be argued that this is one of David Cronenberg's lesser seen movies, mm. lesser like less talked about. Maybe I mean, certainly you have The Fly, which I think yeah. is the one that most people know, um, and then after that might be like. Maybe like uh, scanners or like video drone, maybe. Existence. Yeah, everybody's talking about existence. <laughs> um, modern fans probably know like a history of violence. Yes. Eastern I, I promises. Would say that's
2: Those movies, I would say, would probably be the most well known in the modern,
1: outside of like, yeah, like The Fly. Yeah. Uh, but I think I mean, this one gets skipped over a lot. Yeah. And then, of course, his most famous movie, Spider, starring Ray Fines? Maybe it's Joseph. You be the judge. Maybe he filmed
2: two versions, and it's just its random which DVD you get.
1: <laughs> well, as long as one of them gets into a plane accident. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> On a little biplane. Uh, Jason, why don't you tell us, for the people at home, for the people listening, for the people all over the world, just what the heck is Dead Ringer's about?
2: Well, Dead Ringers is, uh, from what I understand, I haven't seen a whole lot of Cronenberg movies, but... I thought you you were just going to straight up be like, now, I haven't seen a whole lot of this movie. (laughs) I haven't watched a whole lot of this movie. I watched about five minutes right in the middle. But what I can tell you is that it is about uh, two twin gynecologists uh, uh, played by, in a double role, one Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons, of course, most famous for his role as Profian, the villain in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. But you may not know this, he was in this movie in 1988. And he plays twin gynecologists who run a successful gynecological practice. Um, and How dare
1: you, Jason? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Most famous role. <laughs> Certainly his biggest role. Like, like just well, in, terms in terms of terms him of on
2: of screen. Performance, yes. Yeah, exactly. The biggest performance he ever did. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they run this gynecological practice. They're both, uh, you know, they're, we see them briefly as kids at the beginning of the movie. And it turns out that they went to medical school and became gynecologists and they invented this thing called the Mandel device, which is named after them, which, which looks really fucking scary, but apparently props the body open during surgery or something. Uh, you know, and they're, they're living their lives, but it turns out that one of them, uh, Elliot, he's kind of the smooth, charismatic one. The guy that's like the face, the talker, the the Steve jobs of the relationship. Uh, whereas Bev is the, the slightly younger and the Steve Wozniak of this relationship. He's like hard at work, but he's not, he's kind of awkward and less, um, less social than Elliot. He's,
1: he's more, he's more bookish.
2: Yeah. So this this is the sort of movie that might go into like uh, uh, by anybody else into like a heartwarming kind of uh, uh, family drama or perhaps like a comedy uh, uh, of errors even. But uh, no, this is a movie where uh, Elliot, since he's the charismatic one, goes out and uh, hits it off with ladies and has some sexcapades and then swaps out for his bro because his bro's not real social and not good at getting ladies and lets him go in and take a take a hit at that. You know what I'm saying?
1: When when Elliot is t- tires of them, essentially, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. or or if Elliot's like throwing him a bone, you know.
1: Eh, it's pretty. It, it they establish right off the bat. It's it's a pretty icky thing that they're doing yeah. right away.
2: Yeah, it, it's like it's uh, uh, what other twin I mean, movies it, I mean, were
1: there. I mean, it's it's rape. Let's just say. It no, right no, now. Yeah, is, well, no! Yeah, no, no question because you don't know who the person is that you're having sex with, and that you can't cons. You know, if you think you're consenting to someone else, and it's someone else, that's that's rape.
2: This is like the dark universe version of like sister, sister, you know, instead of like swapping each other and going to class and fucking with the teacher, they swap with each other to actually fuck the teacher. In this case, an actress,
1: (laughs) which uh, insist, which would make it 100 times worse in that case, because then they would also be underage. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And so uh,
2: one of the women that uh, Elliot hits it off with is an actress. From Hollywood, I assume, although she is French. Uh, played by one Genevieve Beaujol, who is one of at least two Star Trek connections to this movie because Genevieve Boujol was originally cast as Captain Nicole Janeway in Star Trek Voyager and after a day and a half of filming said, you know what, not for me, and she left. And that's why they cast Ka- uh, uh, Kate Mulgrew in the role mm. of Catherine Janeway.
1: Oh, of I don't course, giving giving that up was such a great idea.
2: No, maybe not. But I'm, I'm glad she did, because Kate Mulgrew was fantastic. And then, of course, David Cronenberg, as I've mentioned before, uh, these days, best known for playing a uh, uh, creepy uh, uh, secret agent guy, maybe? I don't know exactly what he is. He's a doctor, anyways, on Star Trek Voyager. Mm. He helps uh, reason with an AI. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Also, uh, in this movie, just off the bat, I want to say, you'll notice that in the surgery scenes, they're all wearing deep red, like, scrubs, which... I'm sure is a a style choice on David Cronenberg's part, but in Star Trek The Next Generation, they're also kind of red, too. They're not quite that red, but they're red. So, Star Trek all around, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, so he fucks Genevieve Beaujol, and then sends in uh, 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 Bev for the, you know, the tag, and, you know, Bev kind of falls in love with her. You know, she's got her own issues. She's, uh, well, actually, here's the biggest issue. So, they meet this woman because she's a patient, you get that, folks? That's a big well, I think, no-no.
1: I think the implication is that they, they've done this to multiple patients, though. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, this is
2: like a, a regular thing for them. And, uh, you know, of course, he finds out that she can't have children, unfortunately, because she's got a rare trifurcated cervix. So she got like a three-compartment cervix or something.
1: Yeah, she's got a three-pronged pussy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> 3 prong <laughs> pussy, baby. Um, <laughs> That's the porn version of this movie, yeah. by the way. But, and, of course, it renders her, unfortunately, unable to have children, and uh, he has to give her that news at some point. But So he, he starts a relationship with her, but they I think they must keep swapping out because she starts to realize that something's up because his personality seems to shift slightly. And at one point, she even is like, hey, our, I think you might be schizophrenic. <laughs> is there yeah. something about you, you know? Mm-hmm. And in and so, any
1: other movie, you would th- this reveal. By the way, that we eventually get where she fig- she figures it out because she's talking to someone about it and she tells them, like you know oh they're you know they're twins right. Yeah. This reveal in any other movie would be that would be the climax of the movie. I think. Yeah, and it a movie or at like least this the, close to the end of the movie.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and this this sort of thing. I mean, there is a remake of this series certainly, but uh, or, or as a series, I should say. But it would be more difficult today because, like. These two gynecologists are well known in their circles. They invented this particular tool that is like the gold standard of uh, whatever it does now, right? Uh, so they are well known as this. I mean, they're a pair of twin gynecologists. That's a pretty unique thing. And so in the community, they're certainly well known. She doesn't know because she's an actress. And what the fuck? Why the fuck would she know anything about the medical scene in Toronto? Yeah, of course. Today she would just Google his name and it'd be like, oh, he's got a twin brother, and there's a picture
1: of them <laughs> accepting yeah. an award. You know, that, that honestly, that would be that it, this series that's about to come out, um, which I think I think it's coming out this year with yeah. Rachel Weiss actually. So it's gender flipped, but I think this series that's going to come out. I think that the modern version of that scene of somebody telling her like, oh, you've never heard of them, blah 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 blah. I think you're right. I think it would just be her somebody doing a Google search. Yeah, or be going on Facebook and like, why is he friends with himself with a different name? <laughs> what? Family, and it's just him again.
2: <laughs> yeah, so uh, so they do that. Bev starts to fall in love with uh, with this woman, but this woman, uh, whose name escapes me, Claire. is it Claire? Oh, right, Claire. Claire is a bit of a drug addict, uh, because she is a Hollywood star, and of course, all Hollywood starlets are, are just vicious drug addicts, <laughs> and... So she starts to bring Bev into that and giving him pills and, you know, getting him on the drug train too. And at some point she decides, so they have this kind of, you know, blow up obviously because of the fact that they've been swapping each other out and she is not really interested, but he does kind of like get back with her. Mm-hmm. They kind of like come, come to terms and they're kind of having some good times, but then she has to leave, you know, to go film a movie or something. And that's when he starts to spiral, when Bev starts to like go down the hole and- He's, yeah. he's just drugged out and, you know, paranoid. He can't, he's paranoid, he's having a hard time doing his work. He gets into this crazy like headspace about, you know, dealing with mutant, uh, mutant, uh, uh, like genitals, like, or, yeah. or not genitals, but like the entire reproductive system. And he, and he goes to this fucking like artist and commissions him to make these really fucked up looking tools mm-hmm. to deal with these mutated, uh, 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 vaginal canals, I guess. And that's messed up. Yeah, uh, and it, it kind of comes to a head when he's like doing surgery He's supposed to be doing surgery on a woman and he, he brings in these crazy tools and everybody's giving him like the side eye and being like I've never used these before and he's like oh, I'll just number them and then he fucking falls on top of the body and he's like I just need a little and he grabs the fucking <laughs> he grabs the the anesthetic thing and starts huffing it and of course they end up howling him out of the, the room and they, they lose their medical license or whatever and so at that point, uh, you know, the older brother. Elliot is is realizes he's got to deal with this. So he's been trying to, like, help put him through treatment and supervising him himself because he doesn't want it to get out that Elliot is or that Bev, rather, is addicted to drugs because it could ruin their reputation. And actually, that's before what I was just talking about. But, you know, then that happens and he's trying to rehab him. But and then he makes a weird decision that he has to start to synchronize with his twin brother.
1: Yeah. Well, he
2: starts doing drugs to get on the same level as him. And he thinks that's the only way they can crawl out of this.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so and then you, so you're watching basically the steady decline of these two uh, twins for the yeah. rest of the movie. Yeah. So, there's there's
2: a little bit of like, it's not quite as extreme, but it reminded me somewhat of uh, uh, Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel, where it's just, oh, okay. I mean, th- this, this is different than that, but like where it's like the degeneration of these guys over the course of, uh, you know, two hours. And then they're just ugh, right at the end. It's just like the worst possible spot
1: spoiler alert for bad lieutenant i know it's an old movie but i just want to know i'm just curious does harvey Keitel just end up dead at the end of that movie
2: that i don't remember but what i do remember specifically is i think he did the end was when he was in the church naked screaming at jesus and it was actually a nun that he was hallucinating was jesus
1: all i remember is the scene where he's jerking off outside of a car and he's like (laughs) talking to someone in the car
2: was that is that after he had uh, like pulled over those teenage girls and and raped them
1: Oh god. I'm I, not, have I, no I idea.
2: I'm only laughing at how ridiculous it is, folks. Not that that happened.
1: Yeah, oh I didn't I didn't know he was like a straight up villain. I thought he was just Oh yeah, no he's crazy. a bad
2: guy. He's he's
1: a bad oh. lieutenant, Brendan. He's oh. very bad. Well, Jason, I want to ask you first just to start us off cuz sure. you went through the plot and we know Jeremy Irons is playing two characters. I want to mm-hmm. ask how many what are some other like multiple characters? The one that I thought of right away with an actor playing multiple characters, and I'm not talking about obviously like the nutty professor or something that was but my like thought. something, you know, like more dramatic, as I thought of like adaptation. Yes. With Nicolas Cage playing sure. twins. And I think similarly, there were some similarities here because in that movie, the, those two characters look pretty. Almost identical. Like, Mm -hmm. they don't do a whole lot to differentiate them. I think they do even less in this one. I think literally it's like their haircut. I think it's slightly different. But I think in that one, in, in adaptation, it's a similar situation where they don't differentiate that much. And I think in that movie, similarly, the reason something like that works for Nicolas Cage is he is doing two completely different performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when he's Charlie Kaufman, he is completely different from Donald, who is like impulsive and kind of more goofy and ha- kind of, you know, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Spoiler alert, alligator. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that doesn't happen to him, but you know. Uh, so. It just kind of reminded me of this, but can you think of any other, like, dramas where, like, an actor is playing two, even, like, title roles?
2: What's that Tom Hardy movie where he played Twin Mobsters? Oh, God. I don't
1: even know the name of it. Yeah. But that one. Dark Knight Rises. That's the one.
2: Yeah, I was trying to think of that because there are examples of that. Uh, Well, I guess it's not technically so, but you only see one of the characters briefly in the movie. But um, uh, what's his name? That uh, Paul... Is that his name, Paul? You know who I'm talking about—the guy from uh, the, the Little Miss Sunshine. The... Yeah, Paul. Sure. Yeah, he was in uh, There Will Be Blood. He oh, plays Paul Dano. Brothers. Paul Dano. That's right. Paul Dano plays brothers in There tw- uh, There Will Be Blood. But of course, the the one brother you only see like at the very beginning of the movie, and then he plays the other brother for the rest of the
1: movie. Right. Right. But they're different. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you could talk. About, I mean, you could talk about Peter Sellers and Doctor Strangelove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, very yes, different. Playing very different. Three parts. different characters. I think at least three. Three, yeah. Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking online right now. <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens, of course, in the Princess Switch movies. Uh, I, listened to that very... fl- I was listening to that flop post. <laughs> Wait, the Princess Switch?
2: Well, they they the latest episode they had a guy on who was oh. telling them about the interconnected uh, uh, right. Netflix Christmas romance universe. Well,
1: well, well, I, well Jason, I mean, fuck, uh, this is a comedy, but I mean, we talked about Kind Hearts and Coronets. Alec Guinness played nine roles in that That's goddamn, right. goddamn movie. That's right, but they weren't twins. No. Okay. Here we go. How about Army Hammer in the Social Network? I think that's go. a good example. But I think in that movie you don't really differentiate between them. They're
2: they're kind of uh, collectively one character in that movie. You don't really see much with them outside of each other.
1: Yeah. Oh, and it did list also this list I'm looking at right now did actually list um, the one you mentioned, uh, Paul Dano. Okay. Um, Deborah Kerr in Colonel Blimp is one we talked about too. Oh, right. That's yeah. a good that's a good comparison point too because. And one, I remember when we talked about that movie, you said, oh, man, like, for a second, I didn't realize that was I, Deborah Kerr I each didn't. time. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the – I mean, I think in this movie you very much know it's Jeremy Irons just yeah. because, you know, it's – it's it, they don't they don't really change him that much. And but by with, the way, the Tom with, Hardy – by the way, the Tom Hardy twins movie is called Legend. Okay. Um I was going to say, but, but
2: with Deborah with Deborah Kerr and Alec Guinness, you know, you have the advantage of different costumes to kind of yes. help
1: get those characters. Whereas
2: in this movie, they do dress dif- slightly differently, but not that differently. Like it, it's
1: basically just Jeremy Irons and Jeremy Irons. So what I was, yeah, and was, so what I wanted to kind of lay out here is that Jeremy Irons has one of the most difficult things to do, I think, mm. in in this movie and in like one of, the, one of the most difficult acting jobs like I've ever seen. Because he has two characters that look identical. Mm-hmm. There's like there's not a whole lot of difference with their clothing. One kind of has I noticed that like Elliot kinda has like the the tuxedo underneath his underneath his work outfit which i thought was a pretty funny touch yeah. like he's he's not it's like he's not fully committed like he's got no. that underneath just ready to go if he's got to go to some party or, or get some grant or something right he also whereas, clearly
2: spends a little more money on clothes like his clothes are a little nicer yeah. whereas as bevs are a little more frumpy and and just whatever he needs to get through the day
1: but the crazy thing is you always know who it is mm-hmm who is on the screen. You always know if it's Elliot or if it's Beverly, and I just think that's so incredibly difficult to pull off for an actor.
2: Yeah, and he's doing it with such subtlety. You know, he's not. He, it's like not. Yeah. It's not like one guy's like super quiet and withdrawn, and the other guy's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm a crazy guy." It's uh, it's much more subtle than that. But you can tell just because again, of Elliot's charisma and kind of smoothness and talking, and then Bev's kind of like he's got that nerdy energy to him, where you know because he wears glasses, obviously. So obviously he's a fucking nerd. But uh, he, he just got that he's little are... bit of awkwardness to him, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and like you have. Um... You have him uh, – and, and the script the script helps a little bit too because every now and then you have them say like a little brother yeah. or you have them say each other's names like a, a few times. But yeah. honestly, it's his performance that makes, makes it very clear um, who you're looking at at any yeah. given moment. And I don't know if I've ever quite seen it done on this level this well.
2: And it's also the editing is done really well, like as far as differentiating them. And so, you know, who's on screen, like the example I'm going to use is there's a point in the movie where it's after the incident happens in the operating theater and uh, Bev has to go up and talk to basically the hospital board about his actions. And it's clear from second one based on his his attitude and kind of the way he's dressed that that's not Bev, that's Elliot. That's and also he's not, you know, withdrawing from drugs at that point and in a bad spot like Bev was again, exactly. helping really drive home that difference between the two of them,
1: yeah, to the point where we also see him talking on the phone with the board afterwards mm-hmm. and then turning to Bev and saying they didn't buy it. They knew it wasn't you. Yeah. and it's like, yeah, we we know it's not we him. That. like that's that that's how much that's how good he is in this movie. I just want to stress how fucking good Jeremy Irons is in both roles in yeah. this movie.
2: I mean, imagine the work that went into this, like having to film all these double scenes, and and, and, and it looks stuff. good too, technically. Yeah,
1: like yeah the, the, it does. It, it, the masking is really good. The way they, they the way they're in because they're in scenes together in the mm-hmm. same frame many times. Yeah, and it never looks off, other than the fact that we can tell that it's Jeremy Irons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like it 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 just that part of the that part of the movie is just I think the most. Um, the most well done. I I think any, I I think it would have been tough with another actor. And in fact, Jason, there almost was another actor uh, because Mm. they almost got Robert De Niro Hmm. to play these roles. Robert De Niro said he was uneasy about the subject matter. Uh And, (laughs) and the second thing he didn't, wasn't crazy about is portraying a a gynecologist. (laughs) Just specifically, I'm uncomfortable about portraying a gynecologist. I don't um, want to be associated with pussies in that way. Can I tell you who else almost took this role? Uh, Jeff Goldblum. No, but that would have been interesting. <laughs> I think he could have done it. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I would have been like, oh, that's a different Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> it, it would have had definitely had a different vibe. It just certainly would have leaned into the comedy, I think, if, uh, if, if Jeff Goldblum had have been in the role. But it was going to have another actor who has appeared in a David Cronenberg movie before, and that's William Hurt. Oh, yeah. And William Hurt said... He rejected it because, quote, it's hard enough to play one role. I, that is true, uh, Bill. <laughs> so there you I go. I like
2: no, I like William Hurt, but he's like he's like poster generic
1: white guy. He's also he just... the most serious person in Hollywood. <laughs> wow. Good for him. He looks like he it looks like he is. <laughs> I, I mean it sounds like he is from everything everything I've heard. Wait, he's do you think he's more
2: a... do you think he's more serious than Sean Penn?
1: I, I think he's more of an asshole than Sean Penn, maybe. Wow, that is... And Sean Penn, like, hit Madonna. I Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, I think Sean Penn is more outwardly an asshole. Okay. I think William Hurt is is probably good at just, like, taking a few words and putting you down kind of thing. Hey, and
2: if you're listening, Bill, uh, write us in a very concisely worded shit uh, email because we'd yeah, like please. to be
1: insulted by you. Oh, please. my God. How would we prove to the world that it was really him? Well, it's clearly his typing. <laughs> yeah, he just puts a uh, a picture of himself between each word. Time to Different bring movies. on the hurt. Oh god. <laughs> that would, that would be that would be him with the Brock Lesnar gimmick. Well, <laughs> here comes the hurt. Down. <laughs> I'm going to take you to Hurt City. <laughs> hurt City, bitch. <laughs> so yeah, I just wanted to I just wanted to get lay that out. Jeremy Irons Amazing. Yes. Um, Genevieve
2: Boujol stretching her acting limbs
1: to play an actress, but doing very good as <laughs> well. Yeah, oh yeah, no, she's, she's great. I, I don't want to shit great. on her. She's great in this movie. I but. don't want to shit on her, but you, you literally started with a sarcastic comment about her playing. <laughs> I couldn't help actor. myself.
2: <laughs> oh, Genevieve, you're great. You're you're part you're part of my Star Trek family, even if you were only there for a day and a half.
1: You mentioned that we see them as children at first, mm. which I think is interesting. Now I'm going to assume that Elliot is the one that approaches that girl and asks if she wants to fuck them in a bathtub. Yeah, this girl, the, these kids are probably what eleven. Yeah, and they're, the, the they're girl already, looks about the same age. They're already very, like, very much. Clearly, they don't have a whole lot of friends.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of them has one of them definitely goes one way, and the other one goes the other way in terms of their personality, because like, like you said, they're very distinctly different in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, they basically go up to this girl because they're talking about sex. Yeah, and they go up to this girl, and and I believe it's Elliot that asks if she wants to fuck in a bathtub, and she says, "You don't even know what fuck is." <laughs> I'm gonna go tell my dad. And I like how they're the British twins in Toronto. That just yeah. makes me laugh.
2: <laughs> well, that and I mean that adds to their outsider status, I suppose. True, maybe true. they moved
1: there and they just they weren't able to integrate
2: into the community for whatever reason.
0: You've heard about sex. Sure I have. Well, I've discovered why sex is. You have? Fantastic! It's because humans don't live under water. I don't get it. Well, fish don't need sex, because they just lay the eggs and fertilize them in the water. Humans can't do that, because they don't live in the water. They have to internalize the water. Therefore, we have sex. So you mean, humans wouldn't have sex if they lived in the water? Well, they'd have a kind of sex. But the kind where you wouldn't have to touch each other. I like that idea. Have you heard of scuba diving? It's just new. Self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. Exactly. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah, you ask her.
4: Rafaela.
0: Will you have sex with us in our bathtub? It's an experiment. Are you kidding? Fuck off, you freaks. I'm telling my father you talk dirty. Besides, I know for a fact you don't even know what fuck is.
1: Isn't it just refreshing, though, for for someone to cast like Jeremy Irons in a movie where he doesn't necessarily have to be a British person, but they're like, yeah, just use your accent, of course. Why would I make you change it? Do we need to make Jeremy
2: Irons do a funny voice? Because then we kind of get Profian in Dungeons & Dragons, uh, where he's just hamming it up hardcore. Mm.
1: By the way, if you want to see something... Uh, really funny in that movie just watch any scene which i think there's only like one or two with Jeremy Irons and Thor Birch together because it is like the most acting and like the least acting in the same scene <laughs> like he's just going off and Thor Birch rightly rightfully so Thor Birch is giving nothing because it was the fucking Dungeons and Dragons movie yeah. i'm not going to i'm going to waste my acting juice on this movie by the way new one coming out this year what everybody's been clamoring for yeah, try now, it again.
2: did you know, it, 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 just sidebar here, do you know if the Dungeons & Dragons movie is, like, related to these ones or if it's based on, like, Forgotten Realms or one of the Dungeons & Dragons properties?
1: I haven't a, I haven't a clue.
2: Well, why don't you go find that out and let me
1: know? Why don't, you have the internet, too, Jason. Yeah,
2: but I'd rather order you around. It's more fun than
1: that. <sighs> God damn it, I was picked another
2: You just put your belt on. That's all you did.
1: That's all I'm doing. Oh, okay. I'm not going out. I'm not going out in this cold to find out about the Dungeons and Dragons movie for you. Why would you? Now, Brendan, what movie were we talking about? I believe we were talking about Dead Ringers.
2: Oh, Dead Ringers. David Cronenberg. Now, this movie is about two gynecologists. No, no. no. We're
1: past oh. that. We're past that. We did that. that already? Oh, okay. Yeah, we were mentioning how they were kids. Oh, right, right. They were kids. Uh, yeah, so like were most weird of us. Children. They were weird children. Yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Um, So, right away going to talk about. We talked about the premise, how they basically share women, and mm. that Elliot fucks them, and then he's like, you know, here, Bev, have a go, or like, I'm tired of them, have a go. We um, mentioned Fight Club earlier. It's
2: sort of uh, when when uh, when uh, uh, Jack walks up to the door and opens up uh, uh, the door, and it's Brad Pitt there, and he's like, yeah, you want to you want to finish her off? Yeah. <laughs> Man, they but could do a really one... good ghost, like you know, where it, like they don't even have to swap. Like like uh, uh, Elliot could just be fucking a chick, and then. Uh, Bev goes outside the window and just waves.
1: That's horrible. That's horrible. (laughs) I thought about, I thought about too. I was like, I, I thought about, I wonder if like they'd filmed this a different way. If we, I feel like a very modern thing to do too, would be to have the twist be like, there was only one person the whole time. Wow. Well, I'm just thinking because, you know, Elliot and, uh, yeah. Elliot and Bev are two very different sides of a personality. Mm. They could be, it could be argued it could be one person and just oh, two wow. very different sides of their personality because you have the impulsive side and you have the kind of, like you said, the bookish side. Also, you can almost say a masculine and feminine side because mm. there is even a reference to that at one point where Bev is talking with Claire and she says, why do you have a woman's name? <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's a very 1988 movie question to ask, but yeah. he's, but he gets very upset about yeah. it. Well, that's um, a great
2: moment because that implies something about his childhood that he must have gone through some some real shit growing up in Canada, where Beverly is not a uh, you know at all a common male name, as opposed to England, no. where it was more common. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know at that time, even, but at
1: one time certainly. But there's that split where it's like and, and and at times it's it's so interesting because at times it's almost like Elliot doesn't see them as two separate people. Did you mm. get that vibe that like no. Elliot is like whatever we well, used like you said, there he's literally when Bev is in the throes of addiction, yeah. they are synchronizing pills. Yeah. He says whatever goes into his bloodstream goes into mine. He says that at one point. Yeah. And even well, his his girlfriend at the time is like, "That's crazy. That yeah. doesn't need to happen. You just don't take this pill, and that won't happen."
2: No, absolutely. And and we see that earlier too in the movie that that
1: that uh, Elliot is absolutely
2: that uh, way because he when um when Bev comes back from you know meeting up with Claire that first time and they have sex, of course Elliot wants to know everything that happened, and he's like, you know, Bev's like, "No, I'd like to keep this one for myself," and that really irritates uh, uh, Elliot, I think. Well, yeah, Nazi. because his,
1: I think, I think before this point there are no secrets, yeah, right? There are they are essentially they are one, <laughs> yeah. they're one person, um, and, and that's why like I, I like I said I think I think uh, some director would remake this and the twist would be that they're they are one person,
3: <laughs> and that
1: and maybe that they're schizophrenic, you know, like you said, um, at one point Claire says, oh are you you might be schizophrenic because you're like this at some point and you're like this at another point like who are you why are you so different sometimes she's like why are you such a passionate lover and then the next moment you know like you're an amusing lay is what she is the term she uses (laughs) (laughs) he's giving it his best oh how cute (laughs) but uh, who knows what she means maybe elliot is the amusing lay Maybe, mm. maybe because she doesn't feel the passion from Elliot. Maybe That's true. with Bev, she feels. Actually, I will say the only scene that I was not sure who was who, and it's only one, and it's because Bev does something outside of his comfort zone. Is the mm. scene where he's fucking Claire because she's like tied up in the stirrups or whatever? Yeah, well, um, with the
2: with the the rubber tubing that they used to uh, like tie your arm up to give you an injection. Be-
1: because the line right before that is that Elliot says to Bev, "You better go." do something with her because if you don't I'm going to do something terrible to her yeah. and he says like what and then they cut to that scene and I said oh Elliot is just being real vicious uh, real aggressive and then it oh, turns out it's Bev doing that so
2: yeah and, and clearly because Claire likes that sort of thing like she's yeah made it clear that she likes a little bit of humiliation in her life or, or restraint that sort of thing and that's definitely up her alley because she's very promiscuous you see that is uh, brought across because she's a Hollywood actress so of course she's a slut <laughs>
1: But I think that criticism comes from Elliot, who I don't think we're supposed to be in agreement with.
2: No, no.
1: She's also, you notice also there's a line in this movie I thought was super interesting is that he says, Elliot says about her, she's a flake. She's she's very, um, she's different around her peers and different around us and, you know, um, uh, saying like basically, you know, she she's, she's, she has two two sides to her. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how, how disgusting is that? Yeah, and, I'm, really. and it's it's such a funny, like, hypocritical moment. It's like, that's literally what <laughs> the twins are doing, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're pretending to be one person, and essentially then you're, you're somebody else not knowing this would be like, oh, well, you have two completely different sides of your personality. Yeah. So it's interesting. She kind of is accused of doing the same thing as them in a way. Mm-hmm.
2: But with the efficiency, Brendan, of one single person,
1: yes twins
2: if you're listening twins you're a waste you're a drag on society there only needs to be one of you so make a decision cut the cord that's right
1: yeah oh
2: that's that's right let's mention that we have a we have the most david cronenberg ass cronenberg moment in this movie i would
1: argue the only the second gory scene in the movie yeah well there's that one at the end there's a, that's what I mean. Yeah, I think yeah. that and this one.
2: Yeah. The, it, where, yeah, they're in bed together. And then all of a sudden his brother's there and they're actually Siamese twins connected by some sort of flesh bridge. And in the dream, Claire is like, or, or maybe it's uh, Elliot's like, we need to separate or something. And she like starts chewing on it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and you get all the blood and yeah. stuff. And it's like, and then it cuts out and it's like, that—that that is the goriest scene. And then you have a disemboweling later. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like, it, it remains a pretty dry mm. in terms of blood and gore Cronenberg mm. movie.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, but I did have a friend mention to me that, like, if you notice when you're watching it, it do, it doesn't get super gory or super bloody. But what's interesting is that anytime you would kind of expect that yeah. to come up, it, it kind of, like, red dominates the frame. Mm. So whether it's, like, you know, you mentioned that surgery room yep. where they're all wearing the red outfit and the red cloth and the red room. Mm. It's like that's almost substituting for the gore you would usually get.
2: Yeah. And it's giving it a really unsettling feel. I mean, that obviously was a deliberate choice on his part for those yeah. scenes. I mean, uh, it might be a comment on the medical system that it's like a cult. It's like a cult <laughs> ritual when you have surgery.
1: Well, the whole movie feels very, uh, very cold and very mm-hmm. unsettling. Just yeah. everything just seems a bit off, right? Yeah. Like, like the colors heightened. of. Yeah. The colors a little bit off. The framing's a little bit off. It's just it's just enough to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. Uh. And then of course the the scene where where Claire figures it all out and she confronts them both in the restaurant is great. Yeah. And uh, because when she it's great. because
2: when she calls them on it, you know obviously. Bev is like, Ugh, uh, I don't know what I'm gonna do and he's like sitting there like pulling his collar uh, but uh, Elliot's just like, yeah, I fucked you first and then he fucked you and I didn't I, I got him to fuck you because uh, you were very good at it. And well,
1: Elliot is going <laughs> is denying it at first. Yeah. but then when she yeah like like you said, when when she says, oh, so Beverly, does the deed and then you finish me off kind of thing that's when he has to step in and correct it it's almost like you messed with his ego a little yeah, bit yeah. you know no no, no, no no i'm the one that fucked you first
2: i was first in and he was
1: last out. then this little lip dick loser fucked you that's how it yeah. goes baby okay
2: baby
4: i feel such a fool actually i must be the only woman in town who doesn't know about the fabulous mental twins what are you drinking I want to be very sober right at this moment. I want to be very clear. There really isn't any telling you apart, is there? Absolutely identical in every respect.
3: I'm actually a couple of millimeters taller.
4: I bet somebody who knew you both, how shall I put it, knew you both really well could tell the difference, couldn't they? Without measuring your height, I mean. What do you mean? Well, Beverly's the sweet one, and you're the shit. Am I right?
3: This is some feisty lady you found, Beverly.
4: Let's be frank, okay, Elliot? Let's ease up on the bullshit for one moment. You can be honest with me. After all, I am laying both of you, aren't I? Uh,
2: no, uh, just hang on a minute. Uh,
4: it's a sweet delight you have. <laughs> you soften them up with all that smarmy concern and along comes dracula here and polishes them off actually i was the one who fucked you first but i gave you to my baby brother because you weren't very good oh god no um oh claire let me explain you absolute shit explain what explain what listen i've been around a bit you know when i i'd seen some creepy things go on in the movie business but i really have to say that this is the most disgusting thing that's ever happened to me i doubt that what is it with you chum you can't get it up unless little brother's
1: watching the question i have because i know we talked about them you know sharing ladies Mm -hmm. and uh and who's doing the work did you did you get the sense? I mean, that the man was,
2: obviously in that situation. No, the woman just lies there, right?
1: No, I'm not talking right? about the sex. Oh, oh, I'm not talking about the sex. Oh, I'm okay. talking about their their occupation. Oh, there's yes, twin yes, twin gynecologists. And there's a scene where you know um, Beverly gets real drunk and comes up on the stage while Elliot's doing a speech and says like, you know, I'm doing all the research. He just gets to make the speeches, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Is that what's happening? Like, is Elliot doing any of the actual medical work? To go
2: back to my earlier analogy of Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, yeah, I think that's what it is. I think it's a relationship where where Elliot is the face guy. He's the front guy. He's the guy that puts his name on the papers and, and kind of like greases palms and, and you know, kind of promotes them as a brand of gynecologist. And yeah, Bev's the other guy sitting in the office doing all the damn work, like doing the research and and paperwork probably and leaving Elliot free to
1: kind of get them out there. And that kind of adds to the idea of them being one person too, right? Because Mm -hmm. one person could be doing this and doing the research and also doing the PR stuff. Like Mm -hmm. that's not out of, that's not out of the realm of, uh, believability. Um, and, and that's so much that when, when Bev, Bev is in the throes of addiction, when he's, you know dying essentially Um, Elliot's other reason for wanting to help him is he's just like I literally can't do this by myself and at first I was like oh okay so he I can't do this but I think it's literal he can't do the work He can be the face. He Mm. can't do all the work that Beverly does or the research that Beverly does.
2: Well, and they use that metaphor, too, of the of the original, quote unquote, Siamese twins, uh, that one of them, you know, that they were attached to the chest and one of them, you know, was less healthy and drank more and then died of a stroke in his sleep. Jason said,
1: quote unquote, Jason said, quote unquote, because uh, we call them conjoined twins now. That that is correct. Uh,
2: That is the proper term for them. But yeah, one of them died in his sleep and then the other one woke up and then died of fear. You know, yeah implying that if and telling this to his brother and implying like you know if you were to die i would probably die too one way or another Mm-hmm. foreshadowing yeah or there's also but then we also get into the idea of the conjoined twins and and being separated and one needing to sacrifice themselves so the other can live mm-hmm. and that's kind of where the movie ends is with this Basically, spoiler alert, folks, if you haven't watched the movie, why are you listening to this podcast? But uh, thanks for listening anyways. We appreciate it.
1: And if you haven't um, watched the movie and you're listening to this podcast and you're like, ah, spoil it, uh, you're to, cool, to, too.
2: To do a bit we've done many times. Okay, pause the podcast now. We'll wait. Okay, thank you. Uh, great movie. Enjoyed it? Good. So at the end of the movie, as you just saw, uh, they get really fucked up, like really fucked up. And we have this neat scene, Brendan, that you may remember, where they're. it's kind of a tracking shot As they're going through the house and they're like picking up a needle and putting it into their arm and I think that's literally the exact same shot just kind of like doubled up like I think it's the same thing because they do the exact same thing right after another and unless Jeremy Irons is just that good at syncing it up but with that slight delay it was it was really really cool. But So they get all fucked up, and uh, they get his fucking tools out, as his crazy tools that he drunkenly stole from that were on display at the uh, gallery of the guy that made them for him after the incident and everything. He must have got them back.
1: Um, well, he goes in and steals them, remember?
2: Yeah, exactly. He drunkenly goes in and like, or I don't know if he's drunk or if he's just like, I guess he's probably in withdrawal. He's not in a good he's, headspace.
1: Yeah, Be- Bevel- Beverly is messed up, and he yeah. goes into the museum or whatever and just takes all those terrifying looking tools yeah
2: and so they they have a scene where they both get super fucked up on heroin or something and then he like basically encourages uh, bev to to kill him and to basically free himself so that he can live his own life and so he does that and then we have this creepy fucked up scene where bev wakes up and he gets up off the chair and in the background we can clearly see the corpse of of elliot there with his chest completely eviscerated and bloody and bev's just like Ellie, Ellie, Ellie. He gets up and is like looking, and he's like looking around the room, but he's looking everywhere, but at that chair.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then that's when he like he gets up, he gets dressed, he leaves the house, he goes to a payphone, he goes to call Claire, but he doesn't talk to her. He just dials it, wastes the quarter. He wastes a whole quarter, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: this the, real that the real this crime. That is the real crime in this movie. What I what I like about that moment too. Do you notice though? Because we talked about how they're they're kind of acting as like two sides of one person they're Mm -hmm. kind of you know they're separate whatever um the thing that beverly hears right before he goes back in that building and dies is him calling claire and her saying who is this yeah exactly i mean come on i mean that's obviously you know that's something you know what i mean like that's obviously
2: that's a that's a question that resonates beyond that phone call
1: yeah and they both
2: uh fucking die yeah, I wasn't sure, but then I went on Wikipedia and it was like, oh yeah, they did die. And uh, implicitly, I, I guess implicitly, he uh, Bev dies from drug withdrawal. Uh, and yeah, that's where it ends. It's not exactly the most uplifting ending
1: of a movie. But I mean, also not uh, far off the beaten path for a Cronenberg film. To not end, super happy. And this is an interesting thing
2: too, because this movie is apparently based on some real twins.
1: It is based on real twin gynecologists named Stuart and Cyril Marcus. Mm. Um, And they died kind of similarly, too.
2: Yeah, we, I guess the, the exact details of their death isn't known, but they both died within a few days of each other in the same apartment that was in a similar fucked up state to uh, uh, the apartment in this movie, which is totally messed up. The, and the end of this movie, just, just to point out, too, kind of reminds me, it's got the darkness of something like Requiem for a Dream or even Train like Like, it's that really dark... Uh, take on drug use, as opposed to all the great uh, cocaine and heroin movies that we see that really play it up. And Guys, we got to stop doing that. That stuff's not very good. We got to stop glamorizing that shit. Okay, guys. Okay, babe.
1: Yeah, I'm, yeah. Looking, I'm looking at you the night before. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my. But um,
2: yeah, it's got that that real vibe to it, and uh, I appreciate that. Uh, but it can be hard to watch. But also yeah. another great reason to show to show this movie to some like. 14 year old and be like, don't do drugs or you'll end up like these twins, a dead gynecologist.
1: But going back to those twin, those real life twins for a second, yes, because Cronenberg, yes. that's the, that's the reason that's the inspiration right there yeah. is these real life twin gynecologists. Um, they were found like, you know, in their apartment, they were found dead and, um, Lying face up and completely naked. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of them was lying down with a pair of shorts. One of them was lying face up and completely naked. Apparently there was, uh, well, at the time they said there was large amounts of cash scattered through the apartment. This is kind of a funny detail because it later turned out to be about 22 bucks. Um, (laughs) Just ones everywhere. (laughs) No signs of a struggle. Um, One of the armchairs was covered in human excrement Mm -hmm, is one mm -hmm. of the lines here. I've partied, Brendan. You know what that's like. I mean, I've shit all over some chairs, let you me tell you. You certainly have. I mean, listen, I, I've I've pissed in some garbage cans in the bathroom at, at Boom, but I've never shit all over an armchair, so.
2: That's what we'll tell people.
1: <laughs> um, And the weirdest detail about that whole thing, about the real life case, is that they were known for, you know, they were known for using drugs, they were known for abusing drugs, but there were no drugs of any kind in their system hmm. when they died. Interesting. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So and and yeah, they don't know what happened. They still don't know to this day what happened. And that was 1975. So it's not like they didn't have any technology at the time. Do you know what I think? What? They were victims of COVID 75. Oh no. Uh-huh. It was the, it was the first case that then became
2: COVID 80 and then COVID 88 and then COVID 91 and then COVID
1: 19. Wait, 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 Jason, that doesn't make sense cuz this is the 19th COVID. So that would have had to have been like the 12th COVID or something.
2: You make a good point. Yeah. I've been misinformed. I get
1: all, I get all my talking points from uh, uh, Kate, Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> <laughs> well, but she's, yeah, good, those... she's good at
2: making talking points. Whether anybody believes them or not, she's good at making them.
1: Oh, one other big scene that I kind of want to get to here mm-hmm. is there is a scene with uh, where Elliot hires a couple of escorts. Yeah. And they are twins. Yeah. And th- these are different actors, though. Yeah. These are the, the, this, these are portrayed by uh, Jacqueline and Jillian Hennessy as Coral and Mimsy. Their titties and- were filled with Hennessy? What?
2: That country music really drove me crazy, so I rode that ass and said, yes, Miss Daisy?
1: I don't like where this is going.
2: <laughs> Great song. Check it out. <laughs> uh,
1: but uh, actually, Jillian Hennessey uh, wound up actually becoming a, a, a decent little prolific actor. She was in uh um she was in the show Crossing Jordan. Okay. Uh she was in the show um uh she was in Law and Order for three seasons. She played Claire Kincaid. Assistant district attorney, Claire Kincaid. I'm sure there's people that Jason and I are just uh, nodding our heads, but yeah. I'm sure there's somebody who's seen Law and Order that's like, Oh fucking Claire Kincaid, oh, you fucking idiot. Oh Kincaid! Yeah, I fucking uh, love Kincaid. I think it's hilarious that the next movie she was in after this was five years later, and it was RoboCop 3. <laughs> Good stuff. Maybe uh, slightly lower on the totem pole. <laughs> she well, she got to exit. see RoboCop in the jetpack. There you go. She was in Exit Wounds. She was in Wild Hogs. <laughs> wow, what a career. But I'm just saying, you know, she's been working ever since. Um, and, and yeah, so it's her and her twin sister that made their acting debut. I don't think Jacqueline Hennessy really did anything <laughs> else, but... Uh, Jillian uh, sure did and maybe Jacqueline did and we just don't know it maybe they switched maybe (laughs) Um, and then what's interesting about that scene with the twin escorts is that's a moment that I think really hammers home Mm. that Elliot doesn't see himself as two doesn't see them as two different people because he says I want you to call me Beverly and I want you to call me Elliot so I know the difference between you but like there's something else going on there
2: yeah clearly clearly
1: yeah, that's uh,
2: well, that's that's uh, just that's an interesting thing for the the twin to want twin hookers. Mhm. Hmm. I guess he would really like his brother to be there, but he's otherwise occupied.
1: We also at one point gets his own girlfriend to go over and try to like seduce him a little bit, and then at one point the twins are like sandwiching her and dancing. Mm. Yeah. And it's like you know, I think I think this almost became a threesome. Yeah. <laughs> because, I literally
2: wrote it, down in my notes sandwich dance. What?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think honestly, I'm watching this and I'm like I don't think Elliot really thinks of them as two different people. No. He's so dependent on on knowing everything that Beverly does and and Beverly is, you know, dependent on Elliot being the the mouthpiece. I mean, we even see like Beverly go and do um Elliot's little like get together thing, like his yeah. uh, dinner or whatever, and he looks very uncomfortable. Yeah. And then we see Elliot going into like I think Elliot goes in to treat a patient at one time and the patient runs out like screaming and he's mm. like, Listen, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not good at this this yeah. talking to people. Thing.
2: Together they they form one incredibly functional person, but but apart they can't function.
1: The last time I treated someone with this kind of genitalia, they had just had intercourse with a Labrador retriever.
2: Yeah. That was a messed up scene. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that line. Well, and that was also, and that is Beverly that's in that scene. And that's also the yeah. scene where he he starts that's using. When he's, that's, yeah. He's using the, the Mandel device, which is not meant for what he's using it for. And she's complaining that it hurts. And he's like, it hurts. It hurts. No, it can't hurt. And he basically <laughs> like, it's like the human body is the problem. The device is perfect.
1: <laughs> well, because it's meant for surgery and he's yeah. literally opening her up. Yeah. Yeah. During, well, and, like, a routine check. Well, because
2: early in the movie, uh, when they're in school, the professor comes over, he goes, what is that you're using? And he, they pull it out and go, we it's a custom tool we made. And he goes, you're only going to want to use that on a corpse,
1: not yeah. on a living person. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, and that's a little bit of foreshadowing for when that's why you don't use it on a living person. Oh, I remember what going to say um there's another scene too i also want to highlight is where elliot actually goes to visit claire on like the set of her movie because she's or she, her miniseries yeah claire when she comes into town is filming a miniseries in toronto mm-hmm. which is uh pretty believable <laughs> everybody yeah, films in toronto uh, or or vancouver and um elliot visits her there and he's like trying to seduce her this is after the reveal Mm -hmm. this is after claire knows everything about them and he's still trying to be like listen you know it'll be a lot it'll be to your benefit if you're with both of us yeah essentially he's like because she says because she does say to him at first like i want i want us to be friends because it'll be i do really love your i really like your brother Mm -hmm. and it would be better if we were friends and he just i don't think he's into that
4: i like your brother very much And I thought it would be good for you and me to be friends. If we can. I think we can. There's something else. I'm going away to do another film. And I'm worried about leaving Beverly alone.
3: Bev's not alone.
4: No, you're right. He's not alone. But he's lonely. Even with me. He's developing a serious little drug problem. Did you realize that? I thought you were the one with the drug problem. It's an arcanal hazard. The same goes for Beverly. You resent me tremendously, don't you? You contribute a confusing element to the Mantle Brothers saga, possibly a destructive one.
3: Not personal. I think you're terrific.
4: But I just don't have a role in the mental brother's saga. I suppose if you liked us both in the same way,
3: it might make things easier.
1: It has been known to happen. I'm sorry. But I can't. Um, okay, well, Jason, is there any other big kind of overarching things you want to go through before we uh, get into the, the 10 I, bits? I say
2: we dive into 10 bits, and if it needs to come up, it will be in there.
1: All right, well, you heard the man. We are going to take a brief break, and we will be right back. Hello, this is
2: Jeremy Irons, and you're listening to Age of Radio. See Dungeons & Dragons now on DVD.
1: Ring, 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 ring. No one here. Dead. Time for Timbits.
2: Wow. Very nice. I got to applaud that. Brendan, that's, I appreciate your conciseness in a time
1: when... Timbits! Oh, here we go. Nothing but some Timbits! Ooh! But well, can you put your Tim in your bit? Timbit! Oh! Oh! I do Oh, 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 what a Tim-a-bit, a Tim-a-bit. Tim-bit. Tim-bits with Jason and sometimes Brendan. Wah! Wah! Tim-bits.
2: So, interesting titles in this movie, Brendan. I don't know if you noticed, uh, the very beginning of the movie. Uh, I know you usually like to skip a movie and start at 10, 15 minutes in, just so it's already warmed up. You don't like the, the fucking around at the beginning.
1: Yeah, I just guessed about the kids part. Yeah, exactly. Is right?
2: Yeah. yeah, you know, you were right on the money. I was really oh, impressed. Oh, shit. Well, you watched a lot of movies. You understand film writers' logic, you know? Screenwriters? <laughs> that's what they're called.
1: No, they're called film
2: writers. Oh, okay, good. I like that term better. Uh, yeah, so there's like some like old-timey, like, wood woodcuts, I would say. Uh, uh, very, very old school over some uh, delightful Howard Shore music. Of course, Howard Shore, folks. We remember him, don't we? We remember Howard Shore. We love him. Howard Shore, Lord of the Rings, all those little people. We love the little people and their heroes. Oh, get toes. out of here. Get out of here. I'm sorry. Uh, did you take my vaccine yet? I'm so good about uh, stuff like that. You don't have to take it, but you should take it.
1: You know, you're almost making me want to be an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> okay, goodbye.
2: He just walked out. You'd think he'd have a jetpack of anybody.
1: Uh, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. So, yeah, weird opening titles. The color yes. red uh, again as well, yeah, which uh, again comes up a lot. Really pops um, in this movie. Really pops. And and we do see the weird tools at the beginning too, mm-hmm. which mm. will come back later.
2: Did not know that. Uh, uh, did not go back and watch the movie a second time, so I should have, I guess.
1: Yeah. No, they're right there. They're right there at the beginning. I just thought that was some fucked up David Cronenberg shit.
2: And it was, but it turned it out was, it was relevant.
1: Also important.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, when the girl tells her "fuck off, you freaks," that was a good line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, yeah, they trained in the states, but then they moved to Toronto.
1: Yeah, well, and I love how it specifically starts off in Toronto. Yeah. It shows that they're in Cambridge, Massachusetts for for their schooling. And then it specifically goes back to Toronto. And I love how – because at first I was like, oh, Cronenberg is like saying they grew up in Toronto. Now we're back in the States. Okay, whatever. But Cronenberg is like, no, 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 no. They go back to Canada. Now we're in Canada. This is the movie. (laughs) Was that a shot at the (laughs) medical education system
2: in this country that they had to leave to get a proper gynecological education?
1: Uh, Well, you'll have to ask Mr. Cronenberg. Ladies and gentlemen (gasps) – Hello,
2: it's me, David Cronenberg. I love you on Star Trek, sir. Thank you.
1: Do you have any questions? No. No, it sounded like you had a question. No, no questions for you. Well, um, Luke, I am your father and such.
2: Goodbye. Bye. Wow, that was really cool of him to stop by. I should have asked him that question I had. You really should have, dude. He was right here. I know. You just got too starstruck. Yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard. Uh, so let's see. Oh, uh, one line that was interesting was uh, when, I believe it's Bev, is talking about uh, how they should have uh, uh, inside the body beauty contest. Like they'd ever have contests for people that have like a perfect kidney or a, a really well-made spleen.
1: Yeah, that was a really weird discussion. Yeah,
2: that was something. But also driving home, just how, how a weird, uh, weird guy he is. And not how a weird guy he is. What a weird guy he is. Their
1: apartment, their apartment is so cold. Yeah, like it's so stark and just like metallic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Everything's like gray or like you know, it's so it's so clean. It's like too clean. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, it feels like the apartment of somebody who wants to show off. Like it's a bunch of expensive '80s furniture, and they must hardly use it for anything.
1: Yeah, and like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it as a criticism of the movie. I mean, it's no. perfect for the characters, but I'm Absolutely. just saying it It comes across as
2: very, very cold. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, at one point, Claire's talking about how, you know, she's never, ever really used contraception. Uh, because, especially given that she figured she had no chance of pregnancy. Uh, she says, I've never even thought contraceptive thoughts.
1: to which Beverly says, well, there's other reasons to use (laughs) contraceptive. Yeah. (laughs) Contraceptions, AKA, you know, you don't want them diseases.
2: Yeah. Of course, this is 88, so AIDS is still fresh on everybody's mind. And she's like, oh, I guess I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and, and we learn, we learn that she likes to be humiliated both by the fact that she tells her agent that she likes to be humiliated uh, when she was talking about a role she wanted to do. And then when they're uh, together, she wants to be spanked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, 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 feel like he didn't, did he? Do you think he did that, or was it, or was it implied that he just he couldn't do that? I don't remember.
1: I, I don't think he does because yeah. I think when he, I think when he comes back, well, I don't know though because when he comes back, you know, he doesn't share the details with That's Elliot. True. That's true. So maybe he does do that, but he doesn't want to let Elliot in on, on, on that because he knows that he would like kind of groove to that, right? Oh, you mm-hmm. spanked her. Ooh. Yeah.
2: Now is it Elliot whose favorite show is Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous?
1: Yes, that's my yes. favorite. Tele- that's my favorite fucking television program. Is yeah. what he says. It says a lot about him that his favorite show is this just
2: empty exploration of wealth and 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 uh, overindulgence.
1: And, With and Robin I think, and H. Was, I think it was like on at the time too. Mm. So so Cronenberg has taken some shots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I noticed that there's a scene. So after this whole thing, where. Um, the reveal happens, and Claire goes off to film something, or it might be before that because I think it's when Claire has broken up with them, uh, broken up with Bev, Mm. and uh, Beverly is very depressed. And he introduces himself to someone by simply saying, "I'm one of the Mantle twins." Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, he's like he's completely lost his sense of like self. Or in that moment,
2: or it could be a way of like. You know, I'm I'm not really lying to people when I say I'm one of the Mantle twins. Because similarly, uh, one
1: of them answers the phone as Doctor Mantle rather than saying his full name. I don't know, but there's something spe- about the specific way he says I'm one of the Mantle twins, though that feels yeah. odd. It, it feels like what? a way of 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 just a momentary, like a momentary thing, where he like doesn't because I think he I think Beverly starts to lose his identity as mm-hmm. he goes through mm-hmm. from here on, like yeah. from when. They get back together, and then she leaves. From that point on, I think he starts to like lose less and less of himself. I would say, or le- lose more and more yeah, of himself. Yeah. I should say.
2: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And and maybe that's part of you know the, their or about Elliot's idea. They're one person, and he's kind of su-
1: succumbing to that. Yeah, maybe he's starting to believe that. You know. Can you tell me about the? Okay, I gotta ask you a question. Yeah. The the whole thing with him wanting to treat these quote unquote mutant women. Hmm. Like fix all their, you know, their genitalia with this, with these instruments, or whatever. Mm-hmm. What do, what do you think that that is all about? Like, obviously, it's because he's, you know, he's getting, he's more and more addicted to drugs, and he's having yeah. some terrible times. <laughs> but what, what, what creates, what do you think creates that specific like yeah. obsession? That's a good question. I, I,
2: I don't know philosophically, but I, in, in my mind, watching it, it was a function of his drug paranoia that he was like. Because at the end of the day, everybody's different, right? And if he's feeling something different in his paranoid drug adult mind, he's thinking that, no, these, there's something wrong with these people.
1: Like, there's, there's
2: these mutated women, and it's like, it's not me. It's the women. They're all mutated.
1: Uh, They're all mystique.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Claire is on dextromethamphetamine, uh, prescribed as a thing, and I feel like that's a strong thing to prescribe to anybody, but they did at one time. And it does sound
1: strong. Uh, yeah, I heard the word methamphetamine, and I said, "Yikes." Uh, we
2: have the you know the you know with the it's not a woman's name; it's spelled differently. And then she he's like, "You're suggesting I'm gay?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh. I do. Um, I I did notice the the moment where Claire tells um, where Claire tells Elliot that Beverly is has a has a serious drug problem. Uh, Beverly says, "Consider the source," or something like that. You know, yeah. something alluded to to her drug problem, and she says. Well, yeah, I mean, it's an occupational hazard, but he has, like, a bad drug problem. Like, yeah. And it's kind of true, like, to an extent, she has a drug problem, but it's kind of under control a little bit. She seems like, to be functional at that point. She's functional. He is not functional. No. Like, he doesn't have that... That handle it's like I, I'm sure many people in Hollywood have functional drug problems,
2: you know, or they have functional drug problems up until they don't. Like that's up until they don't. How it
1: goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. we
2: certainly have seen plenty of people in Hollywood over the years that have at least appeared to be functional
1: alcoholics. Yeah, but he Wait, Oliver Reed is not a functional alcoholic. Well, no, I suppose not. But <laughs>
2: but clearly, you know, Claire has had some time with these drugs, and she has been on them for quite a while. Whereas, you know, for for Bev, this is new to him because he's a good boy.
1: sorry your wording well he is he's a good
2: boy he doesn't do that sort of stuff and despite the fact that you know and that's a temptation for every doctor because if you have the ability to prescribe yourself whatever
1: you know yeah well and it's funny too because Elliot says that's also an occupational hazard for for him to kind of you know bury uh, Beverly's uh, drug addiction a bit and again I think he's taking this as a personal insult because I think she's essentially saying that you have a drug problem too (laughs) So when yeah when
2: when uh, Claire leaves Bev gets very anxious very like panicked about that because it's clear that he's kind of transferred some of his codependence from his brother onto her cuz he's been kind of hanging out with her for the time being and and she's obviously been keeping him uh a high uh and then after you know when she goes even though he could theoretically get the drugs you know he's losing he's losing that element and he's super fucked up about it
1: Mhm oh he calls her assistant thinking that she's cheating on him mm-hmm. and and tells him in a scene that's just like acting 101. Yeah. Uh Irons like tells him about her like her genitals, yeah. right? Her 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 what is it called? Trifricate?
2: Yeah, her her trifricate cervix. And then he's explaining to her to the guy, like you gotta lube your fingers up and insert them inside and ooh.
1: you're fucking a mutant or something. And then he hangs up and that guy is just like what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah,
2: I got the sense that that guy was gay too. So it was extra. He was just well, like, we, "Oh,
1: we found out. We found out later, right?" Yeah. She said, "Because she says that's my assistant. He's as gay as the day is long." Like you know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a, a line exchange here where Bev, Beverly is having a rough time, and Elliot says, "Don't do this to me, Bev." And he says, "But I'm only doing this to me, Ellie. Don't you have a will of your own?" Yeah, clearly he doesn't. Yeah
2: uh after he thinks she's having an affair elliot uh, tries to comfort him by saying ah she's a showbiz lady what can you expect of her (laughs) they all love to fuck around don't they
1: showbiz ladies and doctors we fuck everything that moves that's right
2: uh at one point after they have the sandwich dance uh bev wanders over across the room and then collapses and you know uh claire runs over to check on him elliot's just like Oh, he's collapsed, and so she runs over, and then she's like trying to help him, and starts to give him mouth to mouth, and she, he like runs over and knocks her out of the way, and is like, "Don't touch him, he's my brother," and then proceeds to give him a CPR mouth to mouth.
1: Yeah, yeah, like to to like you can't even you won't. I'm not even going to let you try to save my brother's life, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, also, I I think it's interesting that their dilemmas kind of switch to at one point, not for very long, mm. but at some point, at some point, Elliot because he's synchronizing these pills he's also just as fucked up yeah. and Beverly is sober momentarily yeah. and goes, you know, goes to look after him and you know, the place is just a disaster. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like a fucking hurricane came through there. Um, and it's just interesting that they kind of make that switch. Also, Jason, you better have written this down, but there is, a, there the, the most Canadian thing about this movie mm-hmm. is that at one point uh, he asks Elliot what he would like on his birthday. Cause yeah. this horrifying day is their birthday. And he says, orange pop. Yes,
2: yes. Not something you often hear in American films.
1: That is Cronenberg that is being like, fuck you, America, it's pop. And absolutely, if you're having a birthday party, chances are
2: there's going to be orange pop there for the kids, boy.
1: But I think, I think British people say pop. Do they know it? I don't know. I, I never We think... did a hundred British movies and I can't think of anyone that said soda. Yeah, I can't think of anybody saying pop either. Well, then, that, to 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 be fair, Jason, we watched a movie where people were drinking copious amounts of alcohol. If anything, yeah, that's it. That's I that's, don't know, I don't know if there was very much Coca Cola drinking in those true. movies. <laughs> that's true. The, the British do love to be drunk.
2: Yeah, as do us all. Yeah, really, we, we Canadians can hold our liquors on oh actually I'll tell you what the most Canadian mov- m- moment is is in this movie Brendan I don't know if you noticed but at one point I believe Bev is on the floor and he's like drinking out of a cup it's clear he's gotten like some fast food and that cup is a Harvey's cup
1: alright fair enough
2: <laughs> I was fair like enough. oh Harvey's man yeah David Cronenberg you really show the world what we have to offer
1: because at Harvey's wonder... you can have it the way you want it <laughs> your hamburger is a beautiful thing that out is, absolutely <laughs> um I... For screen and country, brought to you this week by Harvey's. Come on, Harvey, send us some free burgers. I gotta. I wonder what the pitch was for Harvey's to be in that scene. <laughs> like, I gotta well, wonder so, if he so, even asked them. He just fucking so, put so a Harvey's so what's cup in, the in there. Ce- what's in the scene? Oh, these two brothers are just slowly and dying in the throes of drug addiction. One of them's just been uh, disemboweled. Um, yeah, it's fine. Harvey's would be pleased to be a
2: part of this film.
1: <laughs> well, I'm assuming in 1988, maybe they weren't such a huge thing. Yeah. Right? Well, it's it. A major Hollywood movie. Been... David
2: Cronenberg, such a famous Canadian director. Yeah, you
1: got to get your name out there. I mean, the Fly had come out two years before this, I believe. Yeah. So he had already had a reputation. Yeah, he had. He had some truck. He had some pull. Yeah. Uh,
2: What else we got here? Uh, Oh, Bev is, like, locked in the office at one point, and he tricks his landlord into letting him out, dressed as Elliot. Gets him to come up and unlock the door. He's like, oh, I've locked myself in. and He doesn't let him in to see that he's completely wrecked the place, uh, but he gets out. He's a clever clever scamp. And that's when he steals his tools uh, back from the art gallery. Um,
1: That's the thing that we kind of touched on, but, yeah, he gets a guy... Like, uh, what is he like? A like a like an artist? He gets a, an artist to make these like really nasty looking tools for yeah. surgery. Which, again, when he brings them out in that surgery scene, there's a great moment where one of the other uh, doctors just stops and looks at it like, "What the fuck is that? Yeah. Like, we can't. I don't know what that is." And like you said, he's like, "Number the one to ten. Hand me number five, And he has yeah. his out or whatever. But yeah, that's that. He he has someone construct them for him. Yeah.
2: And so, of course, we get to the end of the movie where he eviscerates uh, Elliot, and uh, they both die on the floor in a pile in that messy uh, room, and it's quite sad. So no, not a way that anybody should go, let alone twin gynecologists. Yep. They deserve better, it. the gynecologist, and also twin well, gynecologists deserve
1: twice as better. Maybe Beverly deserved better.
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> Elliot gets a little um, taste.
1: I, uh, I, I neglected to mention this when I was talking about David Cronenberg when he was making this movie, but actually another person he turned to just yeah. to bounce some ideas off of and get some inspiration is a director we've talked about already, Jason, on the BFI list, and that's uh, Peter Greenaway. Okay. Who did the uh, Draftsman's Contract.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. That's a yeah. guy you'd want
1: to talk to. Yeah, so he had some conversations with him about it, too. Um, another uh, interesting bit is Jeremy Irons was actually given two different dressing rooms. uh with two with two sets of costumes obviously because you know it's a little bit different um however he said he argued that the whole point of the story is that you should sometimes be confused as to which is which yeah so he chose to use only one of the rooms and combine different costume items intended for different characters Mm -hmm. so he kind of was like this is this person's costume this is this person's costume and he kind of mixed and matched them together a little bit and he stayed in one dressing room because he's not—he's uh, not Daniel Day Lewis. He's not like a crazy method actor. I was gonna
2: say, how would Daniel Day Lewis handle a movie like this? Like,
1: oh, he—I uh, think he would have died. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think I think he would have died. I uh, Jeremy Irons also developed this. Uh, he called it an internal way to portray each character. Hmm. Um, he said that he had this. Uh, it's called the Alexander technique, mm-hmm. and uh, each character had different energy points. So I don't know what that all specifically means, but he had a, he had a method to give uh, each character its own appearance. So he was doing again, like you said, that each performance is so subtly different, but enough that you get it, like enough that you get who he is at any given moment. Um, So, yeah. Uh, So Jeremy Irons, hopefully not a dick because he turned down the idea of two dressing rooms. You think he might be? Maybe. He's British. They're all dicks. See, uh, I don't oh wow Jason. <laughs> every
2: last one of them from the from the bottom of of Sussex to right up to the Scottish border well let me tell you let me tell you, I you should say English tim- people I mean English people not <laughs> British people Scots Welsh Irish you're all cool it's those English people all right keep keep us keep driving them away <laughs> um, I love you England
1: do you have any other Timbits
2: those are all the tidbits I can shove into my fucking gullet, Brendan.
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you that when Jeremy Iron, uh, this movie doesn't get nominated for Oscars or, or Golden Globes or anything. No. Um, it does. Uh, I think it is up for some like Genie Awards and some Canadian fucking, film Awards, some critics lists. It knocks it out at the Genies, Brendan. I have yeah, it in front it, of me. You want to know? Yeah, crushes it. Tell me what it wins. So we've got.
2: So uh, it was nominated for best costume design, but did not win. And it was nominated for best actress for Genevieve Boujol, but did not win, unfortunately. However, oh. at the Genies, it won best sound editing, best sound, best score for Howard Shore, best cinematography, best art. Is that direction. the award?
1: Best is that what the award was called? Best, best score, score for, for Howard, Howard Shore? Shore, absolutely. And it goes to it goes to uh, Howard Shore. Surprisingly, it worked out this year. <laughs>
2: It almost never worked out, but this one year. It the David did. Lean Award goes to David Lean. Uh, best editing, it won. Uh, uh, Jeremy Irons won for best actor. Uh, best adapted screenplay. Best director. I oh, you
1: were going to say Jeremy Irons
2: won for best editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. They brought him in, and he did a real bang up job. Uh, best direction for David Cronenberg, and of course, overall, best motion picture that year at the Genies in 1989. So
1: so it swept. It swept. It, uh, it was a, a sensation. Um, but, but I was going to say when Jeremy Irons did win an Oscar at the 1990 Academy Awards for a movie called reversal of fortune, Mm -hmm. he actually was just going through his like standard thank yous. And he specifically thanked David Cronenberg and said, I think some of you, I think some of you know why. (laughs) And so I don't like, I'm guessing just for the work that he got to do in this movie, maybe prepared him for other movies, but well, and also acknowledging an Oscar snub, right? Oh yeah, maybe too yeah I think I think maybe just just um cuz it would have been the year after it wouldn't have been the Oscars where this movie would have qualified for no. it would have been the next year mm-hmm. but he did um acknowledge Cronenberg so I yeah. thought that was interesting um Roger Ebert technically gave this movie a thumbs down. He gave it uh, a two and a half out of four, which Mm -hmm. is technically a thumbs down for a role Ebert. He says uh, it's like a collaboration between med school and a supermarket tabloid. (laughs) He said it was challenging, but interesting for his female friends to view. He also credited uh, irons for making each twin unique, Mm -hmm. but yeah, he wasn't super red hot on it. Variety said that variety liked it. Uh, Washington post said it was unnerving, but also enthralling um, for the the Washington Post as well, another author, uh, another critic, Rita Kempley, said, Every woman's nightmare turned into a creepy thriller. She said, It was like slowing down to look at a traffic accident, afraid you might see something. It's really sordid stuff that becomes ridiculous, painful, unbelievable, and tedious. Mm. Um, so there were very mixed reviews at the time. It's now obviously looked at as a classic Cronenberg uh, yeah. film. Um, Chan-wook Park. Uh, Korean director Chan-wook Park mm-hmm. said it's his favorite Cronenberg movie. Oh. Um, Rolling Stone listed Dead Ringers on their list of 100 Maverick movies, which I can only assume are movies uh, that John McCain really liked. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, his, or were his about His 100 him. favorite. <laughs> <or about him. laughs> yeah, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, the twin gynecologists were based entirely on John McCain as You ever see Dead Ringers? God, I love that
2: movie. I love that movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then he dramatically puts his thumb down everyone cheers yeah <laughs> um <laughs> this is on the uh, total films list of the 50 greatest horror movies of all time ranked 35th entertainment weekly uh also ranked it pretty high on their list of the scariest movies of all time i think it, it does qualify as a horror movie but i think mm. it's a psychological horror movie oh, for sure it's a different it's a different it's like more like a silence of the lambs type thing than it is like you know friday the 13th um Uh, So, here's an interesting thing. In 1993, (laughs) the Toronto International Film Festival, when they did their top 10 Canadian films Mm -hmm. list, um, uh, there was no Cronenberg movies because Dead Ringers and Videodrome basically divided voters. Oh, wow. So, that basically caused neither of them to get a spot on the list, (laughs) but thankfully afterwards, uh, in 2004, Dead Ringers ranked sixth, and then, of course, in the 2015 list, which is the one we're using, it is ranked number seven. And... Last thing, or last couple things here, like we mentioned, it is going to be given a – straight. Uh, Amazon Prime did give this a straight-to-series order, so there is a, uh, a TV show coming out. Rachel Weiss is set to star in the dual role. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's going to uh, – Jason asked me off mic if she was going to play uh, twin cock doctors. I don't believe that's <laughs> the case. I think she's still playing twin gynecologists. <laughs> Um, and then the last thing is this: this movie was on a budget of $13 million um, and it made about 14. Okay. That's a profit. So, so there you go. There you have it. So, um, that pretty much does it. So Jason, I will ask you, do you or your twin have a, have an opinion of the dead ringers?
2: Uh, well, I've just, uh, actually murdered my twin, uh, while you were talking. So he's no
1: longer an issue. Well then just you then.
2: But as, And I, I didn't actually get to ask him what he thought of it, so that will never be known. But I really like this movie. I, I haven't watched a whole lot of David Cronenberg movies. I mean, I've seen A History of Violence, and I've seen uh, 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 Eastern Promises, which are both great movies. But those aren't your typical David Cronenberg kind of body horror shit,
1: right? Wait, have you not seen The Fly? No, no. I, it's one of those movies I know
2: culturally. I know from osmosis. I know because I watched The Simpsons where they did that fly spoof. No, um, no,
1: Jason, not, not Osmosis Jones, no. The Fly. Oh, no, no, still haven't seen it. Okay. Um,
2: but I, I know about it and I know that Cronenberg is especially like, and I haven't seen existence, but I know about the body horror okay. of that. Um, this seems to me to be like a good entry point because the body horror is relatively minimal, but it gives you a taste of it. And the movie's just super creepy and has such a good vibe to it. You know, it's, it's dark and it's sad by the end of it. It's, it's just, it's, it's the destruction of these two people. Uh, and the fucked up relationships they have and the relationship they have with each other and I really enjoyed it like um, I don't I, I don't know if I liked it as much as say crazy last week on just a general scale, but uh, I might put crazy above this, but also this is a great movie and and uh, I mean I'm always happy to see Jeremy Irons on screen. even in a bad movie like Dungeons and Dragons, Jeremy Irons brings something to it and, and makes it entertaining and, and this is a good movie and he's fantastic. so 100% recommend. Uh, bring the kids, check this out, bring grandma Uh, down, grandma will love
1: it. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Brendan? Well, I will say this. I'm just looking at his filmography right now, and I have seen Scanners, Videodrome, The Dead Zone, The Fly, Um, Naked Lunch I have glanced at, but I could not include that just because I would not feel right because I don't remember a single goddamn thing about it. Too much Naked, Not Enough Lunch. (laughs) <laughs> i have seen <laughs> this movie didn't deliver on two promises <laughs> um i've seen history of violence i've seen eastern promises and i've actually also seen maps to the stars which is a, a underrated movie i think
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i will say this is my favorite cronenberg movie oh wow strong words. and i just watched it for the first time two days ago yeah and I, I think this, because this delivers on every front for me. Yeah, I think it, it delivers in terms of the acting department mm-hmm. easily. Even if you take, even if you don't even think about Jeremy Irons, you've got Genevieve Boujol doing mm-hmm. great as well yeah. as Claire. Um, this is is impeccably written. Um, I, lo- I love how it's like a pared down version of a Cronenberg movie. I, I Listen, I love me some Cronenberg body horror, weird gore stuff. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But I like how this doesn't feel like it's just there to be there. Yeah. It, it When it comes up, it shocks you. Mm, absolutely. Um, For sure. Yeah. I literally was like, Jesus, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When it comes up, it, it's impactful. And I think that him using it sparingly in this kind of movie yeah. helps more than hinders and yeah, I yeah, I mean I love the Listen, I love the Fly, but this is the best Cronenberg movie in my opinion. And Ooh. maybe maybe that's a hot take, but that's my that's my take.
2: It has been said, folks, now you know where Brendan stands on David Cronenberg. Come at me, bros, but don't tase him.
1: I would I would ask S- you,
2: do not tase Brendan. He's very sensitive
1: to electricity. But Jason, we ha- do have to think about What's coming up? Oh, what's coming up, next Brandon? Next week. Hmm. Well, I should I said what's coming up, but really what's going down because <gasps> we're gonna be going down the road oh, yeah. next week. It's fucking that's right that's right. We are gonna be talking about going down the road, a um the only movie on this list about the Maritimes yes. where we're from.
2: Absolutely. This is our this is our like regional movie. This is the movie that's always talked about as being the, the fucking classic from here.
1: Yeah, this is uh, directed by Donald Shabib, um, and uh, has the only name I think I recognize is Jane Eastwood. So yeah, I'm excited. I don't know really anything about this like you said it's a canadian uh classic certainly mm-hmm. a maritime classic this is the first i'm hearing of it yeah I've, <laughs> I've heard
2: of it for years i've never seen it so uh,
1: yeah should be interesting. i just know it's ab- i just know it's about a bunch of people who want to leave the maritimes for the excitement and perceived riches of toronto we'll see how that turns out
2: and i have a feeling the budget for this movie was eighteen dollars and a couple of two fours
1: eighty seven thousand okay. dollars jason pretty fucking pretty fucking low budget yeah. though 1970. So there you go. Number six, going down the road. We'll talk about that next week. We almost started the episode just now. <laughs> um, but until that point, uh, you can find us until that point And after that point, sure. it doesn't have to be just until that episode drops, but you can find us on social media. You can look on Facebook, uh, just search for, for screen and country. You can find us on Twitter at F S A C pod. That's for screen and country podcast. Um, you can find Jason on Twitter. You can find me at at Jason D. McCloud, That is M A C L
2: E O D, and you can come over there and, and give me shit. Because to the fan who wrote in that uh, uh, something about uh, Baron Munchausen and me not realizing that Michael Polly was in that, I haven't seen Baron Munchausen. Surprisingly, that's one of the one of the Terry Gilliams I haven't seen. So
1: come at him for that. Yeah, I haven't seen it either.
2: Oh, well, maybe that's a maybe that's a Brit pick for the Deep Future. Maybe the deep future, the deep future. <laughs> deep. And maybe in 2022 or wait, it is 2022. God damn it. I'm so old. I thought <laughs> 22, I thought 2022
1: is the future. No, it's the now. Whoa. <sighs> maybe parts of 2022 are the future? I guess so. But they're not the far-flung future. <laughs> Wait, I thought it was the deep future. Now well, the deep future. The, the deep
2: future. the deep future, the far-flung future. There's many names for that part of the future, but
1: uh, The long way to come future, the far-off yeah. future, the distant future. The way down in the hole future. The going down the road future. Because we're going to talk about going down the road next week, folks. That's right. Also, um, you can find Jason on Twitter at McLeod, but you can also find his twin, uh, Nathan McLeod. Um, at uh, N-A-T-H-A-N-M-A-C-L-E-O-D.
2: That's actually a triplet. I lied. There's three of us. There's Jason, there's Jeremy, and there's Nathan.
1: <laughs> go, there you go. <laughs> and they all have very different political opinions. Oh, very much so. I tell you, uh, Christmas dinner at our house is a real battle royale. But just on the wall. Just just different opinions on the wall. Everything yeah, else, we, you
2: guys are all pretty liberal. <laughs> my grandmother's getting really, really tired about us of us writing our political opinions on her
1: wall. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say your grandma was getting really tired of your debates about the WCW wrestler, The Wall. <laughs> we just won't shut up about it. She's like, guys,
2: guys, guys, the best WCW wrestler of all time was, of course, The Mummy.
1: <laughs> no, it's definitely The Wall because, you know, he was the manager for the wrestler Berlin. That's not a joke. That's WCW <laughs> in the year 1999. <laughs> wow,
2: trying to be real, uh, real topical.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They're right on the cusp of uh, pop culture. Um, <laughs> so there you go we're uh we're gonna we're gonna head out here guys and uh we will see you next week so until that moment i just gotta say to you jason god save the queen god save the screen and for our screen and our country i'm brendan and i'm jason ciao that's what we
2: say in canada Ciao.
1: Yeah, we should say it at the same time because, like, Dead Ringers, right? One, two, three, ciao. Ciao. We're not very good twins. I'm not your twin, (laughs) I'm
2: your father.
5: (gasps) Well, I talk to my son until I'm blue in the face. He's a rock and roll bum, the family disgrace. He lays around the house, smokes dope, and masturbates. Tell me, son. What do you want to be? Well, you're a worthless young shit As I've ever seen You know there's much more to life Than a cock magazine I'll send you to college And you can earn your degree Tell me, son What do you You want to be? be? Dad, I want to be a gynecologist done a female anatomy KY jelly rubber gloves and a flashlight seems like a good job for me well I spoke to my wife I said what can be done with this highly offensive excuse for a son he sits at the table and he belches and he farts then he drinks till he pukes and he sleeps in his barf I went up to his room I didn't bother to knock I said, son, we gotta have a talk so Please put away your cock You're a living, breathing insult to society Tell me, son, what, what do you want to be? be? Dad, I want to be a gynecologist Study female now.